for God. They're part of the Christmas story this this year is looking for God. Now, the challenge for us is are we looking for God today in our world? Today is the fourth week of Advent, and although the wise men didn't meet Jesus until sometime later after his birth, it wasn't on this birth night, like many of uh, movies portray that, it's still part of the Christmas story, and it's very important for several reasons to talk about the wise men as they looked for Jesus. The wise men remind us today that we should be seeking Jesus, right? Amen? We should be seeking Jesus, that we need to worship Jesus in our lives and with our gifts, and that Jesus' story isn't done yet. The wise men remind us his story isn't done. It isn't done on the night he was born. He wasn't just born in this world and that's it. He, he has a story that's still going on. Actually, his story won't be, be complete until he comes back at the second advent. First Thessalonians 4, verse 16 tells us this. It says, For the Lord himself, meaning Jesus Christ, will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. That is the statement that says that someday Jesus is going to come back. And so all Christians have always believed in the second coming of Jesus Christ. We believe that someday he is bodily going to come back to this world. He's going to come back with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel. Angels are all the way throughout Jesus' life story. And they're going to be with him when he comes back. And they'll be the trumpet call of God that we'll be listening for. The question to every Christian in all times and all places is actually very simple. Are we seeking Jesus today? Are we as believers, as followers of Christ, are we seeking him for ourselves? Now, I don't mean just for today on Sunday. Certainly, we're all here to seek Christ today. I would give us all the benefit of the doubt there. But what about tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday? What about that? What about a year from now? Will we be seeking Jesus Christ with the same desire that the wise men had? Because they had a great deal of desire to find Jesus. By this time of the Christmas narrative, Mary has given birth to Jesus Christ. Joseph and Mary were not in that shelter, whatever that was. They were living in their own house. They were in all likelihood had gone through the formal marriage ceremony, so they were married, and they would have had Jesus dedicated or circumcised in the temple of Jerusalem by now. That had to take place for a faithful Jew. That had to take place eight days after birth. You had to take the child and dedicate him, if you could, at the temple. So at this point, Joseph, Mary, and baby Jesus are a family, and they're living as a family in their culture. But God wasn't done with the Christmas story yet. God was guiding the wise men to seek Jesus. And this is a great passage for us. Let's go look at Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was going to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written, But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, Make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. And after they'd heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they'd seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped. 
over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this morning we thank you for the birth of Christ. We thank you also for these men who saw your sign in the sky far away. And they went in search of Jesus Christ because they wanted to find him. They wanted to find this king whose star was they were looking at and following. We thank you, Father, for their testimony of faithfulness to him and their worship of him. Their giving of gifts to Jesus. And how all of this can also motivate us and remind us the importance of worshiping Jesus Christ. It also reminds us that we need to follow him too, that he is our star, our eternal star, and he will lead us to heaven if we will simply give him our lives and follow him. And I just pray today, Father, that you'll just guide and direct my thoughts, my mouth, my heart as I speak, and, and that the people will hear your voice speaking to them from your word and your spirit. I thank you again for allowing me to do this. It's a great privilege to share your word. I just pray that today I give the people something that will strengthen their faith, something that will call them to Christ, something that they can cling on to uh, when things are hard and they're not sure. So bless us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That the wise men's search for Jesus demonstrates to us how God works. It shows us how God actually operates by doing something in their world. He did something in the world during their time. And he got their attention with that, with that work. God is always doing something to get a person's attention. He's always working on all of us to get our attention. He's also working to get unbelievers' attention as well so that they can come to Christ, so they can worship Him. In John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus told His disciples, No one comes to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws them. That's something. God draws us to Christ. Christ takes us to God. And, then we, and through that relationship, through that working of them together, we're changed into worshipers. Let have your outline on the back of your bulletin this morning. Point number one, the wise men were compelled to see Christ. You know what that means to be compelled? It means you have to do something. I mean, there's no really saying no to this. You have to do it. You're compelled to do it. It's something that draws you like a magnet. Christmas is one of those times of the year. It's actually the one time of the year when people have a real sense of God, of the divine. There is a drawing by God at Christmas that doesn't seem to happen during the rest of the year, that doesn't quite seem to take place throughout the rest of the year. This is why the full story of Christmas must be told. We just can't tell a part of it. We just can't say that Jesus was born and leave it at that. We've got to tell the whole complete story of Christmas. If all we talk about Christmas is what our culture talks about, we're going to be in really bad shape. If all we talk about is Santa Claus and a sled full of toys, that's not, that's not enough. If all we do is laugh at movies like How the Grinch Stole Christmas or cry at movies like It's a Wonderful Life, we're going to miss the true meaning of Christmas. And look at our world around us. It's missing it because it's more concentrated on Jimmy Stewart, who died 50 years ago, than they are about the Savior who died on the cross and rose again 2,000 years ago. Because of the three gifts, the gold, the frankincense, you might have frankincense, you might just have incense and myrrh. We tend to think there were three wise men. We have three in our nativity setting here at the front. It's kind of a cultural thing. It's because there's the three gifts. 
So we really don't know how many wise men there were. There could have been ten. There could have been five. There could have been three. We don't really know. But they went looking for Jesus because they were compelled to. That star, that sign in the sky, the guy got a hold of their attention. Now the Bible calls them magi. That's a Persian word. It's a Persian language word. Isn't that something? Iran is today is what, what Persian was. Persia was hundred thousand or hundred years ago or so, or two thousand years ago. It's a Persian word that was used when talking about astrologers, which is kind of a, a magician, and astronomers, which is a scientist. So they would have been priests in their country's religion, and they would have been a kind of scientist who studied the skies and saw things that most people just overlooked. They would have had the ability and the training to interpret and understand dreams and visions. And at the same time, they could have seen and understood what the signs in the sky meant and what they implied. The early church father, Tertullian, you probably never heard of him. He died about 1,700 years ago. He called them kings. So that's where we get the kings about these men. The ancient Armenian Christians from over in the Middle East, they, they gave them names called Melchor and Balthazar and Castor. So there's a little bit of culture seeps in sometimes. We have to be kind of careful about that. The Bible doesn't name them. It doesn't call them kings. They're just simply magi or wise men. So they saw this star in the sky in their country, more than likely Persia, either Iran or Iraq. And it led them to Judea. They must not have seen that star before then or, or had a record. They would have had records back then of stars and formations. And so they were compelled to follow that star. They were compelled to see where that star was going because it was moving in a way no other star had ever moved. And so they began to seek Jesus, who they called a king. Look again at verse 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and came to, wor and believe, and came to, worship, come to worship him. You know, the, the ancients used to believe us that special stars or even comets implied a certain person was being born. That a special person was being born, and that special person would have an impact in history. And that, I think, is something of the compelling that these wise men were going through. They began to seek Christ because they knew something was different about this star. God had got their attention the way it moved, the way it traveled. They followed it, and they had this desire to seek Him. And I think God was drawing their hearts, too. I think God was speaking to these men, these wise men, these educated men, and He was speaking to their very hearts as they looked at the sky and watched that star. In Jeremiah 29, 13, I think is a prophecy in a way. It says, If you will seek Me and find Me when you seek Me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Are you seeking God today for something? Are you looking to God for something in your life today that you can't find on your own, that you can't fulfill this need on your own? God says, look, if you'll seek me, you'll find me. And all we have to do is look to him. All we have to do is look to God to be the answer that we need to whatever's going on in our lives. The wise men were drawn by that unique star that God had set in the sky. You know, how many of you have a Christmas tree in your house? Everybody got a Christmas tree? Pretty much everybody does. Not everybody. Most people do. Do you put ornaments on your Christmas tree? Does No, not all of you do. We put ornaments on our Christmas tree because our ornaments 
that we have from our family or from our kids growing up and things that we did. One year, um, we could not find this star. We have this star. We found it. But our daughter, one of our kids, <laughs> took a toilet roll and some cardboard and made a star. And she put glitter on it. And, and for years and years, even though after we found that star, we always put that cardboard star out there because it meant something to our family. We put those things there for a reason. God put this star up in the sky, hanging it like we hang an ornament on a tree to get attention, to celebrate something because it means something. They were drawn by that unique star God put in the sky for them to discover. They were compelled to seek Jesus for one very purposeful reason, and that was at the end of verse 2. Look at the end of verse 2. And they said, we have come to worship him. I hope that you're here to worship Jesus. I hope you're here to worship God. I hope God has brought you here, compelled you to come here. I hope that this building fills up someday full of people who are seeking God and God brings them here and they hear him speak in our service. There were others who also wanted to find Jesus. Point number two in your outline, Herod wanted to find Jesus. Look at verse three. It says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. This is a very telling statement here about this man named Herod. It says a lot about Herod. When Herod was disturbed, everybody around him was disturbed. Everybody was disturbed. Matthew probably should have said terrified. Because he would have terrified people. He was a cruel man. He ruled by fear and domination. Herod killed several members of his own family. Can you believe that? He actually killed his own son-in-law or his own brother-in-law. And then he planned his, his funeral service. He drowned his own brother-in-law. He killed three of his own sons and his wife and his mother-in-law. Wow. I mean, this is a bloodthirsty guy. He's killing people in his own family. He had prominent people in Jerusalem arrested thrown in prison, and sentenced to be killed on the day that he died. So there would be mourning in the country on his day of death. That's how he, how he, how he acted. That's how he lived. That's how he operated. It was all about him. And, in a, in, and we don't go to those extremes, do we? I've never killed my mother-in-law. Um, there have been a couple times I've thought about it, but I've never, never laid a hand on her. Um, <laughs> I've never thought about killing. I'm sorry, Annie. I shouldn't say that. It's Christmas too, isn't it? Yeah. But I, I, we all kind of get self-centered, don't we? In some ways, we want things to be about us, and God changes that if we let Him. Herod is famous for rebuilding Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. It had been burned down. Men rebuilt wasn't a very impressive building. It was nothing like Solomon's temple. So he rebuilt it. He completely tore the whole thing apart, and he rebuilt it. He made it much larger. He made it more of a complex of different attached buildings instead of one building just for worship. It was considered one of the greatest temples in the ancient world. It was a wonder. It wasn't one of the seven wonders, but it was a wonder. But it was for his glory and not God's. And when we try to build something for our glory and not God's, guess what? It's self-centered. And it does become about us. And we do begin to cling on to things. And we protect our position in things. 
If Herod had loved God and he didn't, and if Herod was a faithful Jew and he wasn't even Jewish, he would have rejoiced at hearing about this man, this baby being born, this long-awaited king that the Jews were waiting and praying for. But Herod didn't love God. He loved himself. And he wasn't even Jewish. Like I said, he was a descendant of Esau. He was a half-cousin or whatever. Remember Jacob? Jacob is the father. Abraham is the father of them all, but Jacob is the father of the 12 tribes, the 12 brothers. He stole the family birthright and blessing from Esau and their father. He tricked them both and got both of them for himself. And so Esau went off and became his own nation, and Herod came out of Esau's family line. So he wasn't even a faithful Jew, and he did, certainly didn't love God. In verse 4, And when he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. I love that last part. Who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. What did Jesus call himself? He said that he was the great shepherd, didn't he? Yeah, and then my sheep know, know me. So Herod, he calls together the chief priests. He's already met the, the three wise men. He's talked to the wise men. He's talked to them. And, and they're telling him what they're doing. And so he calls in the, wise, the, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the men who knew the Old Testament, the men who had studied the prophecies that said God would send a great ruler to Judah who would be known as the shepherd of my people. And so they told Herod Micah's prophecy. That's Micah's prophecy right there. Micah chapter 5. In verse 2, you can find it later if you like. Micah's prophecy is one of the few prophecies like Isaiah that foretold that the Christ, the Messiah, would be born in the town of David, town of Bethlehem, town of bread. Prophecy is more than just predicting the future. It's much more than that. Prophecy is when God tells somebody to tell the world that God is going to do something very special and something very specific in the future. And that He will provide certain signs along the way that reveal when and how the prophecy is about to come true. That's how prophecy works. God says to somebody, Isaiah, Micah, whoever, tell the world this. And then tell them, this is how they know it will be true. There will be certain signs. And they'll see this. And it will prove. And so, the prophet can only share what God tells that man to say, to say. Right? That's how prophecy works. And so we can see the prophecy coming true if we understand and know the signs. 2 Peter 1, verse 21 says this, For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And just as there are prophecies that foretold the birth of Jesus Christ, there are also prophecies that point to His second coming. Jesus Christ gave us a number of prophecies. In Matthew 24, verse 10, He says, At that time, at the end of time, at that time, many will come away from the faith and will fall away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Isn't that prophecy coming true in our day? It most certainly is. People are growing colder and colder towards their own family members. They're becoming little Herods. There's deception throughout the world. Many different religions are coming up and deceiving people away from the true way. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1-5, to 5, 
Paul says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of, good, of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying His power. Isn't that coming true? Never in the history of our country have we ever seen so many serial killers going around today like we have in the last 20 to 30 years. Never have we seen the amount of, of violence that goes on in big cities like we are today and small towns. People are in love with themselves but not with God. They're lovers of themselves but not each other. They're disobedient to authority and to parents. We should thank God for the prophecies that He put in His Word because the prophecies about Jesus can strengthen our faith as we watch and see them come true. Isn't that something? We ought to be grateful for the prophecies that God put in there. And God is still trying to get our attention today. He's still trying hard to get people's attention because God wants to change us. He wants to change people's lives. Look at point number three on your outline. The wise men were changed when they found Jesus. They traveled and they traveled, and they weren't really changed until they found Jesus. Look at verse 9. And after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they'd seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the, the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented them with gifts of gold and incense and of myrrh. The wise men went on a journey. They journeyed somewhere. They journeyed to find Jesus. They didn't go on vacation like we went to Mount Rushmore or St. Louis or something like that. They didn't drive or fly or take a cruise ship. Travel in their day wasn't easy. Travel in their day was hard. It's why people stayed home. Vacation is an American thing that we came up with to spend more money and to get people to spend more money. In, in the ancient world, you had to carry a lot of food and water on a journey because there wasn't a quick trip every so many miles. There wasn't even a town or a village every so many miles. A journey is not a day trip where you go to another town and see some things you want to go see, eat at the restaurant and go home. On a journey back then, you had to have bodyguards or hope you didn't get attacked. You had to have medicine in case you got sick. And if you needed a doctor, you were in real trouble because you're out there in the middle of nowhere on your own. But the wise men were willing to take that journey. They were willing to risk everything, their very lives, to find Jesus so they could worship Him. Why else did they take the gold, the incense, and the myrrh? Because someone special was being born and they wanted to go worship Him. And when they found Jesus, they gave Him those gifts, those gifts worthy of a king and worthy to be offered in worship. You know, what we give in the offering plate is a check or some cash, money, or something like that. It ought to be worth something to us to give that up. It ought to be a sacrifice for us to give that up. It ought to be something that we would want God to be pleased about. Gold was real wealth in those days. Gold was money. Gold is still wealth, isn't it? But it was real wealth in those days. Most people didn't have gold. 
they had coins, but they weren't always gold. Often they were lead or, or steel or iron or something like that. Frankincense or incense was a rare fragrance that very few people could afford. And myrrh was used in certain medicines and also for burial. So it was only used for specific things. And all three of these gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, were incredibly expensive in those days. It wasn't like going to Walmart and buying a little bottle of perfume for $15. It was really expensive. The wise men found Jesus by following that star that God placed in the sky. And when they found him, they worshipped him. They bowed down before him, it says, and they gave him those gifts because they were no longer the same men. They were changed somewhere along that journey. And that's what God does. He calls us to follow him, calls us on this journey of faith, and we're changed as we go. And that's why Jesus came to this world. That's why God sent his son into this world. And that's also what Jesus does. If we'll seek him and follow him, he'll change us, change our lives. He really will. Right before Jesus went to the cross, he spent time praying to his Father in heaven. And in his prayer, Jesus said some things that, that we need to remember, that we need to hear and understand for ourselves. Not just for head knowledge, but for heart knowledge. In John 17, verse 6, Jesus is praying, and he said to God the Father, he says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. He's talking about his followers. How they were committed to him because God had given them to him. God revealed himself through Jesus Christ, through those miracles, those signs and wonders that he did that proved Jesus is divine, that proved he is the Son of God, that he is the Savior. As God reveals himself to us, it's up to us to respond. We have to respond to him as he speaks to our hearts and moves us. And he will judge us for how we respond to him. We are going to be judged for our response to God. Where he leads me is our invitation song this morning. We're going to sing this in just a bit. Will you let God lead you on a journey? I hope so. I hope you already started that journey. Just be strengthened in it. I hope that's for you today. Let's stand and let's pray. Maybe today you've never given your life to Christ. I want to encourage you to do that. This is a great time of the year to do it. Come forward and give your life to Christ if you're ready. If God's calling you to do that. Maybe to join the church family. Maybe to just simply come and pray with somebody. I'll be glad to do that as well. Let's, let's pray first, though. Father, we thank you for this day and this time. We thank you for your word that has the true Christmas story and has the entire Christmas story that we need to hear and share. And I just pray today you'd lead us as people, as your people, and as your church to follow you. Help us to do that. For your glory and for our good, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.